Henry Nouwen uh, was an astonishing priest and an astonishing writer and teacher, and he was truly a gift to the Christian faith. Henry Nouwen one day wrote and told about a story uh, that had happened to him, and and I'm going to give you some excerpts from the story that Henry Nouwen wrote uh, about something that he experienced. And here's his story about something that happened in a very slightly adapted form. And Henry Nouwen writes, The flying Rodleys are trapeze artists who perform in a circus. When the circus came to town two years ago, my friends Franz and Rainey invited me and my father to see the show. I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the Rodleys move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day I returned to the circus to see them again and introduced myself to them as one of their great fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me a free dinner, asked me to dinner, and suggested that I travel with them for a week. So I did, and we became good friends. One day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troupe, in his caravan, talking about flying through the air. And he said to me, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision as he grabs me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work, I asked. Well, the secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing, I said. Nothing, Rodley replied. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I tried to grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine. And that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. And in telling the story, Henry Nouwen continues the story by saying to those of us who read it and hear it, don't be afraid. Remember that you are the beloved child of God. He will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and hands and trust. As I think about this story and I think about my own life, I'd have to say that there have been many occasions in which either which I, in which I either did not trust God enough to catch me, or even worse, I was afraid to step out in faith and take some kind of risk to begin with. And I know that whenever I've allowed risk aversion to consume me, my life has been diminished, and I've ended up feeling depleted and hunkered down. I know it does me no good to try and hide from risk or to respond to fear as a voice of truth, because fear is the great liar. Yes, and as I reflect back on both small and big events, I can think of occasions in which I've allowed risk, aversion, and fear to be king. But our walk with Jesus teaches us another way of living, doesn't it? And that has everything to do with trusting Jesus, taking a leap when we feel compelled to do so and believing that God will catch us. Think about our faith. 
Think about our faith. If, if death is taken care of through the resurrection of Christ, if we are invited to live life freely and without guilt because of the cross, if the presence of God's Spirit is continually empowering us, what on earth do we have to be afraid of? When it's all said and done, won't things really end up being more than okay, even if they're tough and poignant events to endure during the course of our lives? Doesn't our faith teach us that God has it all covered through the bad and the very good, both of which occur? Now, this doesn't mean we don't grieve or cry or wail or suffer or ache or wonder or question and struggle, but it does mean that God invites us to a full life, a life in which we are not held back by fear. A life in which we don't refuse taking informed risks now and then. A life in which we are willing to go for it because we know and believe and trust that God wants us to live fully, abundantly, creatively, joyfully, and amazingly. Charlotte Bronte wrote the following. Is it not better to try all things and find all empty than to try nothing and leave your life a blank? Well, her point, in fact, precisely points to the point of our gospel reading today from Matthew. It is a story at its heart, I believe, that encourages us not to leave our life a blank because of fear or not wanting to take risks. Now, this reading in Matthew, I want to give it some context. It takes place during Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life. And during that week, into the context in which this story is told, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He goes to the temple. He's furious. People have turned the temple into a marketplace for corruption and profit, and Jesus knocks over tables and chairs in a fit of righteous indignation. The next day, he curses a fig tree and says the wilting represents what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He challenges religious leaders, telling them they've totally missed the point. He tells them they're full of themselves. He uses parables. He talks about resurrection, makes it clear that love is the bottom line. He leaves the city, walks down the hill, walks back up the Mount of Olives and talks about the end of the world and the second coming. This is a hot scene. And it's into this context of a cauldron of challenge, fiery preaching, conflict, followers who are totally flipped out and a crucifixion on the horizon that we encounter in our reading today. And we have to understand that that is the context in which Jesus is teaching this parable. Things are totally ramped up, and it's intense. And it is in this setting that Jesus addresses what he knows is about to become a big problem, not only for his followers, but for those of us that are hearing the story now. The problem that Jesus knew was immediately on the horizon before his crucifixion was the problem of risk and fear, aversion, and having a hard time stepping out in faith. He knew that his followers were in the thick of it, and I believe he uses this parable to make points about what fear does to a person and what risk aversion leads to. So Jesus says, one day there was a man, and before going on a long trip, he gave one of his servants five bags of silver, another two bags, and a third one bag. Now the word used... In traditional teachings of this sermon is the word talent, not money. But talent is money. 
So in this context, Jesus gives one man five talents, another man two talents, a third one one talent. A talent was a boatload of money. Now, some scholars think that back then that one day's wage was one denarii. A talent was worth 6,000 denarii. So a talent was equivalent to roughly 20 years of work or so. Five talents, 100 years. So anyway, before going on a trip, the man in this parable, this story that Jesus teaches, gives each one of his servants a fortune. And as the story goes, the man goes after, the, man, the story goes, the man after giving the money away, he, he goes away for a long time. And then one day he returns and he asks each servant, what have you done with the money that I gave you? The man given five talents said, I doubled your money. The man given two talents, I doubled your money. Both were complimented by the man. Let's celebrate, you've done great work. But when the man asked the servant who had been given one talent what happened, the man replied, I, I did not risk. I didn't risk a thing. I didn't take any chances. I was so afraid of you. In response, the man who went away said to the one talent man, I gave you one talent, you did nothing with it, so I will give away what I gave to you. And I will give to those who have more and take away everything from you. In fact, those who do more will be given more, and those who do nothing will be given less. And take the man who did nothing with the one talent and throw him out and place him in darkness, where the Bible says in traditional language, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are jarring words. They can be interpreted in so many different ways. And so what is this story about? What's it saying to us? What's it not saying? Well, here are my, here are my thoughts and beliefs about this story. But before, remember the context. Jesus is specifically with his closest followers sitting on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem where things have heated up. Why would he use this story in that context? Well, with regard to this parable, some people over the years have said that the story says to all of us, do good things with your life, be faithful, be a good person of faith, multiply what God has given you, and I'm okay with that interpretation. Clearly, God wants us to walk the talk and for our lives to reflect Jesus. But then over the centuries, unfortunately, some people have added an addendum to this interpretation that simply cannot be true. Some think that the story says, basically, to people of faith, if you do good things, all will be well. If you do bad things, you are going to hell. There are more problems with that conclusion than I can count. First of all, central to our Christian walk is the concept of grace. We can do nothing to earn God's love and favor. When we do more, it doesn't mean God loves us more. When we do less or nothing at all, it doesn't mean God loves us less. Parable after parable, story after story that Jesus teaches reinforces that point, as do the teachings of Paul. It's not fair, but the person who doesn't do a darn thing is loved by God just as much as the saint. As the Southern preacher Robert Capon writes, this story emphatically does not say that God is a bookkeeper looking for productive results. The only bookkeeper in the parable is a servant who decided he had to fear a non-existent audit. 
The story also cannot mean that God is going to help the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. This flies in the total face of everything Jesus taught and in fact counters the core themes of social justice filling the Old Testament. And if you think of all of Jesus' teachings, he blessed the poor in spirit. He gave to those who asked him. He said, God counts the hairs on your head because God cares about you that much. He taught about going after the lost sheep. He used the image of the shepherd. He taught the story of the prodigal son who blew everything. He spent the most time with those on the margins, those with few skills, those who had been ostracized, those who had been rejected, those who did nothing with their lives. He spent time with those who recognized their own competence, and he taught that we should not be afraid. And then in the letters in the New Testament, Paul writes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even doing nothing with one talent. So whatever we do with this story, we cannot conclude anything that flies in the face of all of this literature and teachings of scripture about Jesus. The story cannot be about Jesus saying, do a lot with your life and all will be well. Don't do much of anything and you're going to hell. So what does the story mean? Well, I think it means a lot. First and foremost, I think what Jesus was saying to his followers, things are going to get really ugly. They're going to nail me to a cross. It's bloody. It hurts. It's terrible. It is the epitome of hell. And when you witness this, be cautious about the conclusions you make about God. I think Jesus was trying to tell his followers and each of us that if we see God as trustworthy, if we really believe that God has our best interests at heart always, we are more likely than to live life fully. We are more likely than to take risks in life. We are more willing to challenge our fears that come along the way. Just like the first two fellows in the story who stepped out in faith and risked the talents given to them. Why? Because they trusted the master. And if we believe God has our best interests in mind, why should we be afraid like the one talent man? And if we are afraid of God, if we believe in our heart, in our hearts that God is mean, watching every step in order to get us and cast us into hell, if we have concluded that if we don't measure up in some way or don't do enough for God, we will go to hell, then we are more likely to live life like the third man, a man who lived in fear and trepidation just waiting for the godly axe to fall. As a result, he hunkered down in life and did nothing with what was given him. His life, tragically, was a blank. So one message in this story is God is good, not bad. God wants us to live abundantly with joy, zest for living, to take risks, not just risk for ourselves, but risk on God's behalf. And if we live in dreadful fear of God, I believe what Jesus is saying to us is we need a wholesale change of how we see our Lord. The story house, however, also demonstrates, I believe, what happens when we live life with life-diminishing fear and risk aversion. One definition of hell, 
in my own personal life, in my own opinion, one definition of hell is fear. Fear is awful. Fear is consuming. Fear is painful. It's caustic. When I am fearful, it's like drinking gasoline. I can feel it corroding my body. Fear depletes me. Fear induces wacky thinking in my mind. Fear, in essence, in my life, feels like a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Fear is like TMJ on steroids. <laughs> and, in its own way, I believe this story is yet again another way in which God is speaking to us through Scripture about fear. And Jesus' caution about fear and his plea to us to turn our fear over to him and to let go of fear and to get help with fear if we need help with fear. In other words, when we don't challenge fear, when we're unwilling to get help with fear, when we're not willing to let go of fear, when we're not willing to turn our fear over to God, we end up in our own hell. And that's not what God wanted for his disciples that were about to witness a crucifixion. And it's not what God wants for us as we muddle our way through life, both good and bad. So, what I'd like to do now is wrap up with some words to those of us who sometimes feel like the person that was given one talent. Just a few words to those of us like me who sometimes are afraid and of taking risks. A central biblical theme from Genesis through the book of Revelation, from the beginning of end to scripture, is the idea of stepping out in faith in the midst of fear. Scripture is full of stories of both women and men who were extraordinarily imperfect, who did not have everything down pat, who struggled with their weaknesses, who struggled with their faith, who struggled with fear, yet, when it was all said and done, took a risk and stepped out in faith. And those stories are there to encourage us when we are in that one talent place to take our own perfections, our own fears, our own weaknesses, and to be willing to step out in faith with God's help. It's why God created us. God wants us to live and live fully. God does not want our lives to be blank. So God's clear message to you and to me is to step out in faith. Step out in faith and take that new position. Step out in faith and leave that old way of being or thinking behind. Step out in faith and let go of ways that have been that have created a false sense of security for you. Step out and speak about faith with another person. How about... How about me stepping out in faith and telling those people who are red-faced and angry and think that excluding women and excluding people who are not socially acceptable, how about stepping out in faith and saying, you can't tell my people about my Jesus, that he's mean, that he's going to get you and cast you to hell. You need to go out and step out in faith and tell people about Jesus as the love of God. It's not bad news, it's good news. We need to take Jesus back from those who have made him into this mean character. How about stepping out in faith and doing that? How about stepping out in faith and going on that adventure despite your age? How about accepting the date? How about asking the person out for a date? How about offering the neighbor help that you're terrified of, but you know the neighbor needs some help? How about taking on that new, new experience in front of you? How about downsizing? How about simplifying? Step out in faith. Let go. 
Let go of fear, let go of negative thinking, thoughts of inadequacy. Step out, stop comparing yourself to others. Step out, get rid of habits that are getting in the way of living a full life. Step out of your comfort zone, walls of security and boundaries of hesitation and live. And so over this holiday week, I invite you to join me in exploring, praying about, and thinking about how God might be calling you to step out in faith. Think about the question, God, how are you calling me to step out in faith? What fear are you asking me to get rid of? What risk are you asking me to take? I feel God's spirit moving within me and to take on new risks that I haven't been willing to take before. And as we think about this, and as we think about what God may be asking us to do, what, how to step out, keep that great story of trapeze artists in mind. It's just a marvelous image to think about as we are thinking about taking a risk. Remember in the story, there's the person who leaps and the one who catches. Our job's not to catch. So give up trying to catch. Just leap. That's God's job, is to catch us. Our call is to be willing to take a leap to begin with, trusting that God will catch us. Even if the aerial we are considering seems totally over the top. So step out in faith. Pray to God to help you let go of fear. And live this amazing, amazing life, wherever you are in it, that God invites us to live. And so we pray.